0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, BDW group void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. This week is all about getting to know Jennifer and her background. As I mentioned, I'm out of town this week, so I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for me to share with you two interviews that I recorded back in February. First, you're going to hear from Jennifer's mother, Jackie. Jackie tells the story of the Jeffley family moving across Texas and why they had to do that. And then you're going to hear directly from Jennifer herself. This is Season 10, Episode 8... Who is Jennifer Jefflin? Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Jennifer was, she was mama's girl. Mm -hmm. She was sweet. Um, She clung to me, I don't know. Her and my mom were, um, Kim was my mom's favorite, so that made Jennifer even closer to me. And she always wanted to help me do this or help me do that. Wanted to learn, wanted to be just like me. You can almost call her, um, she wanted to be a mini-me.
0: Mm-hmm. Was that all through from the time she was little until she was 15?
1: Um. Well, when she a teenager, Jennifer took a liking and a loving for animals. Um. So, and then we moved a lot. We, we, I'm always, I was always, always trying to improve our living conditions. So we ended up living in this one, finally in the city. And um, little kids, she would always go somewhere and come home with somebody's kid. So she, she did break away from me some, but she would come back. She would always go find a little kid. Mama, look, look, this is whoever. It is. And I'm like, girl, if you don't take that little kid home. <laughs> I was gonna think you kidnapped them. But she loved kids and then um I never was the type of mother to keep them just under me. I wanted them to get out and, and socialize. So she would um when we moved to this town, she um would go across the street to the neighbors next door and they she loved to sing. So they would be singing or dancing and there was a male group in the neighbor in the community that went and did What are those contests or something like that to see who could win? And she loved it. When she watched them practice and stuff, that seems like that's what she wanted to do. So the girls would get together and they danced. And School. She loved school. She was super smart. She liked uh, challenges too. When she was young, you know, her birthday was September 2nd. In Texas, if your birthday is before or after, I'll say after September 2nd, you had to start school the next year. So she started pre-K when she was just turned. Five. She started pre-K when she was four. She just turned four. She started pre-K, but when she turned five, they said she would have to repeat pre-K because she was she had to wait till she's six to be mm-hmm. in kindergarten. So I kept her home that year, but that put her behind a year. And so she always wanted to show that she was smart and she could do. So she, in her school, they had a um sign language. And that's mm-hmm. what she got into. I think she was in second grade in sign language. Then we moved again because I'm trying to better our life because it was a single mom. So we ended up moving to um, country again. We moved to the country again. And she would just go to the, go through the community, knocking on people's doors, trying her and Kim, trying to find jobs so they can babysit or house clean or whatever they can do mm-hmm. to make some money. And then we moved to um, Houston.
0: So you you moved from East Texas and kind of made your way Mm -hmm. to the Southwest. You actually worked for TDCJ. I did. How many years did you work for them?
1: Well, I started working for them. I was hired on in June of 94 when I lost my oldest son. Yeah, June of 94. So I had been working for them for almost yeah it was two years. I was working for them for two years when Jennifer was arrested.
0: You went through a lot of tragedy in a very very short period of time. If you're comfortable with it, can you can you tell me what happened with your oldest son and then your youngest son and how you managed to make it through all that?
1: I'll try to tell you without breaking down. My oldest son graduated from high school. And I think he graduated in ninety two. I don't remember anymore. But when he graduated, he wanted to go to college. So my sister lives in Chicago. And so she said, come up here to, and go to Kennedy King because it's a really good school, really good college. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I'm going to go stay with her and go to Kennedy King. But his first semester of college, it was rough. More, I think it was rougher than he could handle in Chicago. So he said, I'm going to come back I had a nephew who was about to start Stephen F. Austin, or he was already in Stephen F. Austin. He graduated the next year. He was in Stephen F. Austin. So he said, I'm going to go to Stephen F. Austin with my cousin. So I told him, okay, well, we got to get your paperwork done so we can get you when um, school starts back, we can get you into school so you don't miss a semester. He said, but I think I want to take a break. So school start back in January. He said, but I want to wait and go in the In the fall, I was okay. He says I'm gonna get a job and save my money, and then I'll be ready to go in the fall. And by then, he was admitted. Um, He was just waiting for the semester to start. And um, he had some friends that he graduated with, and they liked to hang out at the um, this little teenage place where they had in the country for teenagers to go and shoot pool and eat and things like that. and I don't know what happened, but he left me, and he went there, and 30 minutes after he got there, um, he was looking for his friends, and they were in this arcade, and that's what it was, an arcade for teenagers, and while he was there, he was shot, and um, he died on the way to the hospital, so after that, um, that was hard. And Karen actually helped me with that. And then, um, so I was working. I had a job as a um, secretary. And um, after the services for my son, I think I took off a little while. And then when I, I finally had to go back to work. And I decided then I'm going to work for, no, I decided before then I was going to work for TDCJ. And all the kids agreed to, yeah, you should, yeah, if you want to, yeah, we'll support that. But when my oldest son died, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't. But everybody, know he wanted you to, too. He wanted you to do better. So that, and my son died in March of 94, and I started working for TDC in June of 94. And then my youngest son was uh, diagnosed with cancer in July of ninety four. So it was a battle, but I had to be strong for my youngest son. I had to be I had to be strong for my youngest son because he um. Now that I'm working for TDCJ, I had insurance, so I could take him to the doctor. And when I took him and they diagnosed him, well, I took him and the doctor said, let me run a test on him. Okay. So we're sitting there and he came back with the test and it took about an hour. He said, "Uh, I want you to admit him to the hospital. He has to have emergency surgery. Okay. And then I looked at my son and I said, you know, you have to have a." You have to go now? He said, I don't want to go today. Can I go in the morning? And the doctor said, well, why do you want to wait till in the morning? He said, I just want to be at a home till in the morning. So he said, okay, but you got to come early. So he, the next morning he went and he had his surgery. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And they set him up for cancer cancer treatment so I think um after after a month maybe they gave me the option where I wanted to have his treatment and they said that I I don't remember where I think one place was in our town another place was somewhere else and they said Houston and I'm like well Which one is the better one? I want him to go to the best. And they said, well, Houston probably has the best. So we scheduled him to go to MD Anderson. And so they gave him um, treatment five days a week. Five days. Once a month he had to have treatment. I'm working for TDC now. So it was kind of hard because I'm like 100 miles away from home. And... The job was really swell because they put me on the sick pool so that I could stay home with him. But being at home was hard because my other son had died. So I think after going back to work, I got somebody, to family member, to watch the kids at home Somewhere in there, I think my mom took them, or I don't know. It seems like um, Jennifer and Kim ended up. I don't know. It's, it's 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 some somebody ended up taking them. I think my mom took them and, and she put them to school while I worked until I got a place to stay. But I, and I ended up I ended up getting a place to stay in in Tennessee Colony is where I was working, and uh, got us a house. And he was taking his treatment, but it wasn't possible for me to leave the girls at home alone for the five days he had to be in Houston for his treatment. So turns out they ended up both of them missing a lot of a lot of school, and the school where they were going, my son went to. He um, they understood they were really, really consider it and showed a lot of concern so they said we understand they have to go as long as they do their work and they pass they can if they do their work and pass they can pass to the next grade." and that's what they did and then um after my son set of treatments he um he knew he wanted to play basketball or football but I was afraid that um I was afraid he would get hurt and um, he loved to swim. They all loved to swim. Jennifer loved to swim. Um, anyway, um, for the my son, him and, and Jennifer were close, and um, they all did their little thing though, like they had their, they had their turn to cook dinner and clean house and do different things. But his stomach, I think he was playing basketball with a friend and got kicked in the stomach. And it caused his cancer to come back or whatever. And he died in, in December of 95. But before he died, we decided since Houston is where he's getting his treatments, let's just move to Houston. So and I asked the girls, "I want to go to Houston, which when we come for his treatment, they all liked Houston. But, um... When he died, it was like we don't have to go. If, But I couldn't live in that house after him. But, uh, you know, so we decided we'll move to Houston, and we did. And now I told the girls, I'll be on first shift. You all have to work. You have to go to school while I'm at work, and we'll be home together after hours. And I didn't know what the school was like. I didn't know what the neighborhood was like. I didn't know anything about the area. It was just financially. I was, um, I was broke. My credit was messed up. And so I wanted to build my credit back up so that I could move to a better place for my girls. And, um, I, I, I had to depend on them going to school on their own. Anyway, turns out they didn't like the school. And the school made them repeat the grade, which made them, Jennifer hated it, because now instead of her being behind one grade, she's behind two. And she was smart, and she said, Mama, the same thing they're teaching me here. I've already done it. I don't want to do this again. But I told her, you have to go to school. You have to go. By now, we're living in the the apartment we uh, we moved to. Um, we moved. We had to move because a fire broke out in in the apartment up under us, and so that forced us to move to the uh, Green Arbor Apartments. And when we moved to the Green Arbor Apartments, um, I thought it was nice. It was roomy. It was quiet. It was it was nice to me. I didn't know anybody, but there was nobody walking around. There was you know, you at nighttime you look and, and nobody was hanging out and no loud music and nobody's selling drugs and you can walk to the store and you don't see all that going on and I thought I found a good place to live. And Jennifer. We had our you know, we, we would we had our family days, our family times, our family moments. But she was fourteen. And she was used to meeting people. And I never held her back. I mean, I might ground her, if I found out she didn't go to school. If you can't go to school, you can't go outside. But you know, when you go to work, you can't guarantee your child is gonna be at home. And then that day happened when they took her.
2: With the Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Play for free at
2: LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Well, it's it's a, a pleasure to meet you. I've, I got to spend a whole—I don't know if you have talked to your mom, but I got to spend a whole evening with your sisters and your mother. They were they were lovely people.
2: Yeah, they they said the same about you. They really enjoyed you.
0: Well, good. I'm glad glad to hear that. How much time do you have? Will you be able? To, I know you guys have thirty minute blocks. Will you, will you be able to call back if we get cut off, or do you have just your thirty minutes? Uh, well,
2: we rotate since we only have four phones. So if nobody is up for the phone next, then I'll be able to call you right back.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll get right into it and, get, and use as much much of our time as we can. First of all, in in prison, you seem to have you said you you've got some freedoms. What what is your life like in prison? Are you like in one of the camps? Or are you in general population? Do you have a job?
2: Yes, I'm in general population. Um, right now, I work in laundry. Um, I've been in laundry for like uh, six months now. So uh, I'm the issuer of um, the state shoes. So I do state shoes and state boots. So I work uh, twice a week from 2 to around about 12 p.m. So that's what I do Okay. now.
0: What other jobs have you had through your time in prison?
2: Um... I've had, I was a boot black, I've been a a medical SSI, Um, I worked in a print shop as a press operator, I did the clerical work for the beauty shop, I did the clerical work for the the unichemical um, dispensary, Um, I did beauty shop, I did field squad, I did chemical worker, I did yard, I think I've had pretty much every job, (laughs) but a trustee, (laughs) yeah, but a trustee position, so. I did, um, I cooked the officer's food in the ODR. Um, I worked as a general population cook. I've done everything. I don't think it's anything that I have not done.
0: So are you guys in, you are in a hobby, right? Yes, sir. Have you been in a hobby the entire time you've been in prison or have you been moved around?
2: Yeah, I've been moved around. I've been, um, I've been on every unit, but, uh, Hilltop. So I've been over here this year in october if i make it to october it'll be 12 years since i've been over here
0: okay you know i mentioned in one of the letters that one of the other women we worked with sandy melgar at one time was in hobby did you ever meet sandra uh
2: sandra i don't i don't know like i don't really uh, i'm kind of reclusive
1: uh-huh. cuz i don't
2: want to i don't want to get caught up in the things that go on with this Malou within this maloo so like i say to myself so if I've met her, uh, her name doesn't sound familiar. I might have seen her face, but I don't. It doesn't stand
0: out to me. Sure, you know, I, d- I didn't realize there was a, there was a bit of a connection there until like after spending like five hours with your family. I didn't realize that you grew up Jehovah's Witness, and mm-hmm. it, it, interestingly, that was a big pre- a big part of Sandy's case was she was sort of persecuted by the police and the prosecutor's office. Because she was Jehovah's Witness, um, but anyway, w- one thing that I want to do is is have have you kind of walk through. I've heard, I you know, I've read the trial transcripts, I've read statements, I've talked to your family, but could you walk me through what actually happened? Not the the police statements, not all that, and we'll get into what the police did with you and in the interrogation stuff. But can you just walk me through exactly what happened, starting with? October twenty eighth, the night before, uh, the, the Bob
2: Bob yeah. Justin told me not to not to
0: touch my case. Okay, so you right. doesn't you don't want to yeah. talk about the case. Okay, got it. So let's I guess let me then get to know you a little more. Um, let's talk about life before you went to prison. Can you can you walk me through? I mean, you were only fifteen years old, so maybe let's back up to just before. Um, you guys started moving or your family said you guys started, you were living in the East side of the state. And then because of some of your, your mom's job changes, you guys started moving towards Houston and you had the, the tragedies with your, with both of your brothers. So can you just, just tell me the story of, you know, those, those say two, three years of your life leading up to when the, the crime happened. Uh, we
2: had a, we had a good life. We were, um, we were poor, but my mom provided in a way that uh, we didn't realize the struggle um, until we got like um, middle school, where you know name brand becomes popular and all of that. But like we had a uh, we had a good life. We were like pretty much close knit because she didn't allow us to be exposed to a lot. So it was just us. Like we were all we had. Um, we had we made friends though, but. I don't know. We just, I mean, we just grew up with each other. Um, We moved with with her different jobs, so we really didn't stay in one place too long. I think the longest uh, we stayed was in, I want to say Jefferson, and then um, we stayed in Longview for four years. I don't remember how long we stayed in Marshall. Probably the same, like three or four years. Then we moved to Tennessee Colony. And then it was just like, we moved to Houston, Houston took us fast, but it was just us until my oldest brother got killed and then Daniel got um, diagnosed with cancer and so it was just like back-to-back tragedy. So that's what propelled us to go to Houston because she had to put in a job transfer for MD Anderson because she didn't know about the Children's Hospital. So we moved, that's how we ended up in Houston um, behind Daniel, but he passed before we actually moved to Houston, but we were forced to go to Houston because our transfer had already went through, so she couldn't go anywhere else. And I think that's just where life spiraled. Like, going to Houston, it was us coming from the country to us being something so big, like the dialogue was different. Just the way of living was completely different than what we were exposed to and what we knew. So it was just like a whole new world and we just got caught up in that, but it was just about family life, family life until we just got broke apart with with Thomas and then Daniel and then Houston. So it was all about um, school. I loved going to school. I ran track for a little while. I cheerleaded for a little while. I was student president for a little while. I played volleyball for a little while. Um, I just did a little bit of everything and that's, I mean, that's what just life was like back then, like, going to school, going home. Because as we got older, like, we didn't have a lot of money to do different things. So, like, we just hung out around the house, rode our bikes around, played with each other. But that was it, like.
0: You and Kim and Daniel were all pretty close in age, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you lost Daniel before you guys made the move to Houston, from the way Kim described it, the two of you were were extremely tight. I mean, you guys are what just about a year apart in age, mm-hmm. eighteen months. Yeah. So once you got to Houston, and obviously you you need to meet new friends, you're kind of starting over again. Did you did you spend still spend a lot of time with Kim, or did you guys kind of take your own paths? I think we kind of like took
2: our own path. We were together in um, certain things. It was like a lot of the times it was like I was Kim's front because Kim was the quiet sister. I was more the outgoing sister. So a lot of people looked like, looked to me, like I was leading Kim, but we were just like, I don't know. I wouldn't let Kim go by herself and I didn't go by myself until we just started making different friends and we just kind of like just went different paths. So.
0: Your mom had told me, and, and and from some of the things that I read in your case file that leading up to the night before the crime occurred uh, or the the day the crime occurred, that you and you and your mother had had some some disagreement, And she described it as you as you ran away from home. Can you talk about that? So what, what led you to being in Eva's apartment on the night before the murders happened or the murder happened?
2: Um, actually. Kimberly and Mama had gotten to it, and I went with Kimberly. And so when Kimberly went home, I didn't go back. So I ended up with Eva. So that's how I ended up there.
0: Did you guys? So when you guys left, I know Kim said that you know the the source of the argument was about boys. Mm -hmm. That your mom didn't want her talking to boys. Did you guys both go to Eva's, and then Kim left, or did you guys go somewhere else, and then when Kim went home, you ended up at Eva's?
2: We went somewhere else, and then we kind of, like, bounced around, because we were gone for, like, a couple of days. We kind of, like, bounced around, and I ended up at at Eva's, but Kimberly never went to Eva's with me.
0: So you were raised as a Jehovah's Witness, and, and in my experience, it seems like People that uh, were raising that faith, they either they either love it or they hate it. There's usually not a lot of in, in between there. And I know that your mom had been like disfellowship prior to you guys moving to Tennessee Colony. What was your relationship with the church like? How, how did it influence your life? And then did it still have an influence once you came to Houston, or did you feel like you were maybe rebelling against it a little bit once you once you had made the move?
2: For me. I think because like um, being a Jehovah's Witnesses is, is really strict, so like we couldn't participate in like the pep rallies, and you know we couldn't say the pledge of allegiance. We couldn't go to the Valentine's parties, or if a student had a birthday party and included the whole class, we couldn't go to that. We couldn't participate in that. It was a lot we were restricted from doing. So in that, like it was being young, it was embarrassing because you get made fun of for, you know, at that age, you get made fun of for things like that. So, like, when our family kind of, like, just fell apart with the tragedies, it was like, we really didn't, we still didn't practice the Christmases and the Easter's and all of that, but I can say that for every Christmas we didn't have, my mom gave us a party. For every birthday we didn't celebrate, we got gifts. We were gifted in some other way, like, she still made up for it. But in the face of your peers having to, to be pulled out of class and stand outside and sit in an empty gym like or the library, that was embarrassing. But when we moved to Houston, I don't even think that, I don't even really think that religion was, was on my mind because like I said, Houston took us fast. It was a whole different, it was just like a whole different world for me. So I wasn't thinking about Christmas and Easter and like I was just in awe of the different liberties that Houston afforded me as a as a 14 year old that was so different from growing up in Tennessee Colony and Longview and Marshall and Jefferson. It was completely different. So I don't even, I can't even recall going to school and, and having a Christmas party. I don't even think that they did that because we were in the ghetto so I don't even think that they did that. I don't recall ever having participated in that in, in the middle school
0: that I was in. You, you've said a couple times that when that Houston kind of took you fast. Yeah. So, so like, what do you mean by that? Why, obviously, country living in Tennessee Colony compared to living in, as you put it, the ghetto in Houston. What did that mean for you? What do you mean it took you fast? Did you just get mixed up with a different crowd? Or were you behaving differently? Were you doing different things? Just,
2: the crowds were, um, were just different. I started skipping school. Um, I was more aware because I got held back. My birthday was already September 2nd, so it put me behind. I automatically got held back as a child. And then with Daniel in Tennessee calling me, they allowed us to pass a grade because they knew what we were going through with my brother being sick and us missing school because we were having to go to Houston for his chemo treatment. But Houston didn't acknowledge that. So I got held. Kimberly and I got held back another year. So for me, it was embarrassing to be 15 in the eighth grade. So I was more conscious of the type of crowd that that I was hanging around. They were faster. The girls were faster. Uh, We had grown men hitting on me. Like in Tennessee County, we didn't experience that. Everybody was even killed. We were all the same pace, Kids were kids. In Houston, kids were adults. So it was like I was trying to catch up. I I was literally running to catch up to a crowd that I was struggling to fit into. Whereas in Tennessee Colony and Longview and Marshall, I was able to be myself and to be my age and not feel the pressures of trying to fit in or trying to be accepted because I came from the country. So it was just different. Houston was just, it was so much faster paced than what we were acclimated to. So it was just like reacclimating myself to to something that was just like, bam, bam, bam. Like you had to go, go, go. You either, you ran to catch up or you got left behind. And at, at 15, 14, 15, I didn't want to be, part of the left behind crowd, I wanted to be part of the in crowd. So it just changed like in Houston you were proving yourself, like proving you were down, proving you you had the experience, so like I was faking a lot to try to fit in to a crowd that I knew nothing about because it wasn't the same coming from East Texas, it wasn't the same in Houston that I was accustomed to.
0: When you say you were faking a lot, like what what do you mean by that?
2: Acting like I knew like the life and um, knew what it was to be raised in a ghetto, knew what it was to be around people that were selling drugs and doing drugs and smoking weed and doing all of that. Like, it, where we came from, people didn't do that. Like, I had never smoked weed before. I had never been around a weed smoker before. So all of that was new and different for me. So, But it was exciting because it was something I had never, like, I had always been shielded from, but we didn't even, I mean, I was just never around people like that, where we came from. So it was just different. It was just
0: a different culture. Did you, and I can imagine that, that just the, the complete culture shock getting in the middle of it. Did you, as, as you were, you know, you said you were experiencing some of these things, did you get into any of the drugs? Did you ever smoke marijuana or any of that stuff with these people you were hanging out with? Or did you still kind of...
2: Yes. No, I tried smoking marijuana. I
0: did. You say you tried it? So was it was it not for you?
2: Well, it just made me sleepy. It made me giggly, and just made me feel lazy. But I did it. Like I can't say that I didn't do it because I did do it. So, like, I mean, I did more than tried it. I did smoke it. But it wasn't something like today, as the woman that I am today, and looking back, reflecting back, it's not something that I would enjoy doing today. Because it, did, it didn't do anything for me, but just make me extremely lazy and, and just laugh at everything. I want to eat, so it was more of a downer. And I don't like, you know, right. After that, but I would appreciate today.
0: Uh, did you did you experiment with any other drugs when you were part of that crowd or drinking?
2: Uh, no, I think I got. Uh, I think I drank once. I think it was like um, I want to say tequila and sprite. And it was like, I didn't, I'm not the type of person that cares for being sick.
1: So, right.
2: that didn't, yeah, that didn't work well for me.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now, Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Jumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. J-j-jumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void are prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when you're doing that, and you know, and it's it's not that your faith, as far as being you know, growing up Jehovah's Witnesses, like a part of the case, just. From it's a lot of it is just for me to try to, you know, kind of understand you and your mindset at the time. The only reason I'm asking these, these questions. But so like when you were into that lifestyle or with the, with the people that were living a certain lifestyle, it was very different from what you were raised. I mean, you were raised, you know, besides the holidays and things, you know, you, you didn't do drugs. You didn't smoke. You didn't drink. You didn't do all, all these things. Did any of that weigh on you when you were getting mixed up in the crowd or at that point were you just like, This is you know, you were enjoying your liberties?
2: I think at that point I was enjoying my liberties. But also too also too like I was running. Now that I am being older and thinking about like my emotions, I didn't I felt like with with Daniel dying, you know, we Tom was setting. Daniel we, we saw his decline. We we walked with him through that, and I felt like I was the only one that was struggling through that, (laughs) so for me, like, now, I keep realizing that, um, I felt like I was going through that alone, so I think I was just channeling that in a a negative way, because I felt like didn't nobody understand what I was going through then, so hey, I'm hanging with a crowd that understands me. I'm hanging with a crowd that gives me because I'm doing what they're doing. So it just made me feel a part of something where I felt like I was just adrift at that age and going through what we was going through. But realizing now everybody was just dealing with their heartbreak and their loss in different ways. Like we really didn't have time to mourn. Like my mom didn't have time to mourn. So we really didn't have time to mourn. Because everything was such a change, we were moving, things were changing, like so it was just different. Like we was just going from one extreme to the next, so everybody was just adrift at that time. And I just felt like nobody got me. Mama didn't understand me. Kimberly, she was doing her own thing. My older sister started having her family, so it was just different. It was just different. At one point, uh, I was attempting to commit suicide. So like it was just. I don't
0: know. I think it was just like an outlet for me. It's so it was really tragic for me when I heard you know, heard about that time in your family's life from the rest of your family. It sounds like you guys before Thomas was killed that despite being poor and despite moving around that you guys had a very tight knit happy family still. Yeah,
2: we did. We did.
0: And then through, you know, a year or two years of tragedy, do you think that the loss of your brothers, did it just, did it break up that entire family dynamic?
2: I think that it did because when my mom lost Thomas, when we lost Thomas, you know, that being her, her firstborn, like because when she made it to him, like he had literally just died. He was still warm and like that destroyed her a lot. So, like, she had to regroup from that, which she didn't get time to do because that Daniel got diagnosed with cancer within months. So, like, it was just everything. So I think that, like, she tried. She tried to hold it together for our sake, but, like, I just think that her, her power, her stronghold was weakened. It was weakened greatly. So I think we were just, we just all just kind of scattered. We all scattered and... We was all dealing with things the way we dealt with things. So, and at that time, like, she's trying to make ends meet. She's trying to pay rent. She's trying to keep a roof over our head, keep food in our stomachs, keep us clothed. Like, so she was just taking hit after hit. So she really didn't have that much time to focus on us the way she had before everything started happening. So I think, too, that played a large part in why we were able to just
0: Go the route that we went once we moved to Houston. Right, God, it's so it's so awful. Everything that that you guys and your mother, especially, has had to go through. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift Jennifer as we come to the conclusion of our time to talk about like what life's been like in prison for you. You've grown up in prison. I mean you you've got locked up. You know, just a couple months into being 15 years old, and so through jail and prison has been where you've you've grown up. What have you done? with yourself to try to improve yourself over these last 24 years?
2: Um, well, I didn't qualify for college because of the length of my time, but my mom paid out of college, out of pocket for me to go to college. So I have received dual degrees in business management and general studies respectively. Um, are those,
0: are those bachelor's degrees or associate degrees? Associate. Oh, that's yes, great.
2: Um, I have facilitated a class called span which um, is an acronym for so Sisters Taking a New Direction, which is geared toward dysfunctional relationships where people feel um were kinda like it was it was facilitated by me and two other adult juvenile offenders, um, where they feel alone and so they latch on to something and somebody which just basically becomes maybe abusive or dysfunctional in a sense where I look up to you, but I'm having you do all my dirty work. So I'm, I'm like your funky, because I want to fit or belong so bad. I was a peer educator. That was short-lived, though. I've gotten multiple OJTs in various jobs. I, was, I did graphic designing. Like I said, I was a, what well, they call it, like a lead cook. So I was a lead cook under um, the kitchen captain. On on parachute and when I was on crane. I've done a lot. I've done a lot, but it feels like I haven't done. I haven't put a dent in what I want to do. Um, I've been denied a lot because of my the length of my sentence for me having a capital life sentence. I was the first youthful offender to get a GED. Um, I received my GED at the age of 16. I was in college by 17. I wasn't, I wasn't told a lot. I was encouraged to get in trouble. I was encouraged to fight. I was encouraged to participate in homosexuality. Um, so nobody told me that if I got so many college credits that I wasn't eligible for a vocational. So I jumped straight into college and didn't take vocationals. I did. Um, I was a culinary apprentice, so I got my apprenticeship in um, cook's class. I think that's all I've done. Right now, I'm trying to facilitate a class. That will offer mentorships to um, people with long sentences that are getting ready to go home. That will uh, prepare you for the world. So I do that. I'm a board member of BCMA, which is Breaking Chains, Making Amends, and I do that under the So which which we find scholarships for the children or the grandchildren of the incarcerated mother or grandmother or the victim. And right now, I think that's all that I have. Uh, Done so far, oh, and I'm I'm waiting to be become uh, one of the first class members of a of the women's uh, seminary class for 2021.
0: That's incredible that you've done that much. I mean, the, the the big thing is, I know, of course, you want to do more, but you've been, you know, as I said, you've grown up in in prison. You you spent your entire have been you've lived in prison longer than you lived in the free world, in that. You haven't sat idly, and that you've continued to try to better yourself and better others is is really commendable. Do you feel confident that at some point you're you have
2: one minute left,
0: your conviction is going to be overturned, and that you're going to go home at some point?
2: Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah.
0: and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed and scored by PutThemInASong.com who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing and maintaining our website TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McAlaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And I personally can be found on social media at Truth, and Mike can be found at MurbGaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Say goodbye to The Dish and hello
2: to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires
0: Skystream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18-month minimum term. Cut-off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply.